Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. If you have fat over conditioned sows, you're burning a lot of money in feed costs and you're also going to have poor reproductive throughput. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like Elanco's Prevacent, a new PERS Spective. Visit prevacentprrs.us to learn more. NutriQuest, expert serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Elanco's Prevacent. Isn't it time your PERS protocol evolved? Elanco's Prevacent PERS is safe and effective, offering at least 26 weeks of immunity duration against the respiratory form of PERS. As the first and only on-market USDA-licensed vaccine containing a contemporary Lineage 1 field strain, Prevacent is a contemporary solution. Connect with your veterinarian or an Elan Co. representative to understand how Prevacent can fit your operation. Visit prevacentprrs.us to learn more. Prevacent, it's time for a new PERS Spectre. Hello everyone, today uh, we'll talk about a simple tool that is changing swine production around the globe and our guest is the inventor of this tool and also faculty at uh, NCSU and uh, his name is Dr. Mark Nauer. How are you Mark today? Ah, very good Marcio, very good. Appreciate your time again and uh, Let's just start our first question. Normally, is if you can just share about yourself and your career. Sure, sure. Well, I grew up in southern Wisconsin on a family farm. We had a few pier line, Hamp Landrace and Yorkshire sows, mm-hmm. and a few Angus cattle, and grew up showing in 4-H, and um, that was quite enjoyable and judging livestock. And then I went to Iowa State for my first two degrees and finished up at North Carolina State under the direction of Dr. Todd C. And then I went to um, the Institute for Pig Genetics in the Netherlands mm-hmm. for about six months before coming back to take a position at the National Pork Board where I was the director of animal science for a year and then uh, came back to NC State where I've been now for eight years as a swine extension specialist. Very nice. Very good. And uh, so, you know, we're going to talk about the tool. And, uh, but also, I guess to start things off, what is the, your thoughts on uh, guilt weight at breeding and, uh, and ways to use that to improve uh, production? So it's, a, it's an interesting topic of discussion because there's just not a whole lot of research tying guilt weighted breeding to subsequent reproduction. There's uh, one large study that was done, I believe, in the Midwest that people often refer to 
but generally we want to have multiple studies um, before we really reach a conclusion. And the answer might differ within production systems. So when we think about guilt weight in relation to subsequent reproduction, there's some give and take. On one hand, if you breed a gilt lighter, she, you'll have less feed cost in her. But on the other hand, if you breed a gilt at a heavier weight, when she farrows, when she's gone through her lactation, she's likely going to have more body reserves, which should help uh, conception rate for the next, uh, the next reproductive cycle. Interesting. And... Um... Very good. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely, I would agree with that. I mean, we need we need more studies. There's a few studies that uh, from South America there, from Dr. Bortolozzo in that area, but uh, it's and if you go back to the recommendations too, right, Mark, from the genetic companies, they're they are the same recommendations for the last 10, 15 years. So, definitely need to to work on that. Yeah, some of the genetic companies have been pushing a, a larger female. Uh, some of the other genetic companies more recently have been telling us to go towards a little smaller female, maybe closer to that 300 uh, pound mark. And from the outside looking in, if you, if you have good lactation feed intake in your, your P1s, uh, you're going to want to go with a smaller gilt because you're going to have less feed cost and uh, non-productive days in that gilt before she farrows. If you want to estimate gilt weight, as we know, most farms don't have, or many farms are not going to have scales in which to weigh gilts. There's a couple of good tools out there. The, the Kansas State flank-to-flank uh, mm -hmm. -flank tape, that's a good tool, I believe. And then we also developed a, a heart girth tube, which is wow. just water tubing that you can get at Lowe's or Home Depot. Get about a half inch, half inch pipe, and it makes it a lot easier than using a heart girth tape is to use a heart girth tube. You mm -hmm. can kind of use that tube to reach over and uh, capture the estimate the weight of that gilt. Very nice, and uh, and where uh, I guess people can find that very easily in any uh, uh, store, I guess, or what's the what's the recommendation there to finding it as well as to uh, the number of inches optimum for breeding or what's your thoughts there? Yeah, there's some equations there to, to let you, to help guide you as far as what, uh, how big that tube needs to be. And if your cutoff is 300 pounds, you probably want to make that tube. So the very end is 300 pounds. So, you know, if she doesn't fit in the tube, she's, she's big enough to breed. And that can be find, found, uh, instructions for making those can be found online on, on YouTube under NC State Extension. Okay. Very good. And, um, yeah, and, and I guess now uh, as we transition, anything else on the guilt before we transition to gestation, Mark? No, I think that's it. We do have uh, what I think is an awfully good resource on selecting for feet and legs and replacement guilts, and that is also available through our NC State Swine Extension YouTube channel. Okay. Very nice. And um, in gestation, what are your thoughts there? So I've, I've heard, heard some different discussions. I mean, I know you love to talk about bump feeding, and, mm -hmm. and I think I do too as well, Marcio. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's 2019, and I feel like we should, all, we should have all this figured out 
and I'm not sure if we do or not. Um, if we look at the past research, bump feeding has been shown to improve birth weight sometimes in gilts, but it hasn't really been shown to improve piglet birth weight in sows. But beyond the needs of the pig or the needs of uh, milk production, we also maybe need to think in terms of needs of the sow. So this sow is, um, she's leaner than she was 30 years ago, uh, and she has more pigs than she did 30 years ago. And birth weight has gone down, but genetic companies are starting to correct for this. So we're going to see bigger piglet birth weights coming here in the near future. And so she's got a lot more maternal gain that's going on in those last few weeks of gestation. And so when we think about in terms of bump feeding in relation to the sow, uh, we may need to look at this a little bit more. So if I went into a program today, I mean, fat sows, I don't think there's any reason to bump feed or put them on full feed prior to farrowing. I just don't, I feel like you're just uh, wasting wasting feed. And thin sows, of course, you're going to want them to get them into a better condition going into farrowing. So when they come out of farrowing, they're more likely to conceive. So if you got a thin sow, maybe somewhere two weeks before she farrows, you increase the feed on her to try to get her in better condition before she farrows. Or maybe if she gets three or four full days of full feed prior to farrowing, maybe that's enough. So then the question becomes, what about the sows that are in ideal condition, which in theory should be the majority of your herd? Right. Well, the past research shows that it, it doesn't really impact piglet birth weight, but I'm not sure we know enough um, on these sows whether that increasing that feeding level is going to help their, their subsequent conception rate, their, their sow longevity, and their, their sow lifetime productivity. Yeah, it's a very um, fascinating area. Uh, there's there's another study there, Mark, uh, that I just learned. Um, well, I knew about this study, but I just learned the latest results uh, last few months here. That is um, back there from Dr. Bortolozzo in South America, where they evaluated about 1,000 females. And I, I think you've seen that data on the gilts, different levels of feeding, late gestation for those gilts. And uh, they follow them for parodies, which is which a lot of the pushback is like, okay, what's going to happen later, right? Um but they evaluated that for uh, four parodies, and guess what happens? You know, the more feed you give in late gestation, the worse uh, the retention rate, and makes sense because they lose more weight in lactation and and, and things like that. Uh, but but I think the biggest thing is is I think what you're going to talk next, which is the managing body condition, right? And um, I don't think the feeding program is as important as the the body condition, meaning. If they're fat, they need less feed. Very simple. If they're thin, they need more feed. Very simple as well. Um, but what, what are your thoughts on body condition management, Mark? So when we look at important areas on the sow farm, I mean, obviously you got to get sows bred and obviously you got to take good care of them when they're born. And where the body condition piece fits in is it can help you do both of these. Because sows that are too thin are less likely to breed, and sows that are too fat are going to have poor litter size and also poor lactation feed intake, which will also impair their ability to breed. So sow, lac uh, sow body condition is an important piece 
that I think you can do on an individual sow basis now with some of these objective tools we have that can really enhance your reproductive performance and optimize your feed costs. Because if you have fat over conditioned sows, you're burning a lot of money in feed costs and you're also going to have poor reproductive throughput. Right. And, and I agree. I mean, one of the one of the reasons I think that this area is so so exciting is that it's one of the few areas in uh, pig production that when you find a farm that is fat, which there's more more farms that have a lot of fat sows out there than I think we realize, um, is one of the areas where we can save a lot of money on the millions of dollars and also improve performance, which which is so so exciting. Very good. Um, so as we think about the objective too, uh, Mark, if you can uh, talk talk to us about the the caliper. Yes, yes, of course. So about eight years ago, we came up with the the concept. So the concept applies to whether you got beef, cattle, or horses, or pigs, or whatever the species may be. So when an animal doesn't have much muscle or much fat. It's going to be very angular over its top. When you look at it from its behind, it's going to uh, be very angular. And then as the animal adds fat and muscle along its loin edge, the top of that animal becomes wider and flatter. So basically what the, the caliper does is it just measures the, the angle of the top line of that animal. Very nice. Yeah, it's an amazing way of looking at... Uh not only fat, but also the lean. Uh, and, uh, that's that's very interesting. And some of the other tools wouldn't do that uh, sometimes, um, like back fat measurement, for example. Now, um, what? Um, so you, I know you talked you talked about the version three point three. What what is that? So we've made a, a lot of changes to the caliper in the last six months, and uh, most of these changes are going to be new because they're not really out in the public too much yet. So we're on the third version of the caliper this year. Uh, the first work version, it worked fine, but the, the dial needle part was uh, not quite as robust as it needed to be if you dropped it. Mm -hmm. And then we came up with the second version, which still works well today. And then in the field, we saw a lot of people weren't using the handles. And so... I'm like, well, if you're not going to use the handles on the caliper, maybe we can just cut them off. Mm -hmm. And that way the caliper is going to be lighter weight, could potentially use it with one hand, and it's going to be less cost to make as well. And it, it costs less to make, and we've we've passed those costs onto our uh, people that purchase them. And then this spring, uh, or early summer, uh, Jerry Purvis and Michael Priest at Purvis Farms came up with the idea to put a, a handle on the caliper. And we'd seen some handles on the caliper in the Midwest with people using two handles. But this was the first time that we'd seen somebody using one handle mm -hmm. to use the caliper. Because if you have to bend over and, and measure a couple hundred sounds a day, you can do it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have to bend over and you can go faster, that's a lot better. So we've what we've come out here with just the last few months is a 30-inch extension mm -hmm. that you can put on the caliper. Interesting. And you can just fly. So the mm -hmm. other day I was out at per Purvis Farms, and I did a 1,000 sows in, in less than a half day. So you should be somewhere around 
six seconds or less per sow. And that includes the time to, to spray paint the, the back representing the color or number uh, in relation to the body condition score. Very nice. So we've made a lot of changes in the last six months. It, it looks quite different if you ordered one than if you ordered one at the beginning of the year. Mm, interesting. And what is the recommendation as far as to when to, to evaluate that body condition? So, yes. Yeah, so you want to measure them at, at weaning and then maybe around day 30. And then uh, you definitely want to measure them a couple weeks before they farrow. So that way any thin ones can be brought up to condition. Uh, I had a good suggestion from uh, Stephen Bath the other day at, at Smithfield suggestion just to go in and measure those sows every 30 days because it's also an opportunity for your employees to lay eyes on that sow every 30 days, which may or may not get done depending on the production system. Right. Interesting. Um, very good. And what, uh, what do you recommend as far as uh, weighing the feed uh, drop boxes? So weighing feed drop boxes, you absolutely need to know how much feed is coming out of those drop boxes. So whether if you're changing diets a lot, you're probably going to want to weigh them weekly. I've had some people tell me that they should weigh them weekly just to make sure it gets done. Uh, you need to weigh them weekly, perhaps. And also, if you have multiple types of feed drop boxes on the farm, uh, you need to look to see if there's differences between that. We're at a farm here a couple months ago. They had some plastic boxes. They had some metal drop boxes. And the difference in weight between those two boxes was three quarters of a pound to a pound. Hmm. So we went into those those uh, buildings that had the metal drop boxes and all the sows were fat. So we saved that farm a lot of money in a short amount of time. Very nice. Very nice. And and one thing that, that I noticed uh, in a couple of farms was, uh, uh, you know, people changed where the stickers were. <laughs> So I'm like, <laughs> don't do that, right? Even though, like you said, I mean, some systems, sometimes they want to reevaluate. But as, as long as they do a large-scale, well-designed experiment, maybe that's okay. But if they're not doing that, follow the, <laughs> the recommendation is my opinion. What do you think? Well, that's, that's a great point, Marcio. And we have a lot of data. We've done two large-scale uh, tests within commercial systems out here in North Carolina. The, the different production systems had different genetics, different housing. Feed came from a different feed mill, yet we found the relatively the same answer between studies as far as ideal condition in relation to reproduction. I just got a large volume of data from Columbia, from Asymmetrics. That data set contains over 16,000 sows. They also show kind of that same ideal range in relation to reproduction. But again, there could be different scenarios that, that, uh, that are out there where you'd want to keep your sows a little thinner or a little fatter. And if that's what works for your system, that's what works for your system. So Very good. And uh, one question that, that often comes up is uh, on the guilts during gestation versus the sows. Yeah, we get... We get that question a lot. We get the genetic question, and then we get uh, the guilt question. Uh, genetics, we generally recommend that our, uh, 
our scale should work across genetics. As I said, the two uh, two studies we did here in North Carolina, the genetics were thought to be quite different as well as the feed and the production system. On gilts, generally you're going to have your gilts uh, fed ad libitum. And so if your gilts measure slightly, slightly into the fat range, we currently think that is just fine because those they're going to lose some condition, obviously, after they they have their first litter. You don't want them on the, the fat side of fat, mm-hmm. but if they're just into the fat range, we currently think that is just fine. If you have a gilt that's that's off the scale, um, as a gilt, I can visualize her. She's you put a lot of feed into her, and she's quite over condition. But that's that's a good good common question we get. Very nice. And um, as far as um, implementation, I know it's being uh, spread uh, throughout a lot of countries around the globe. Uh, do you have an idea of how many countries are using the, this tool? Yeah, we're currently up to. Uh, we've sold it here out of my office to 33 countries throughout the world. And that's with uh, $0 spent advertising. So that's all (laughs) just, just word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very, very good. Anything else on the caliper or self feeding mark before we move to our three questions? Uh, Probably just reemphasize the changes we've made in the last uh, six months, six months, especially the addition of this 30-inch extension, I think is going to be a real game changer because there's a lot of people that have had exposure to the caliper. Uh, within production systems now, there's probably variation in use. But this 30-inch extension, when we put that on there, it's going to make things a whole lot easier. And it's going to make it a lot easier to capture measurements and it's going to be easier to reach those sows that are in stalls or in pens. So it's, it's going to be a labor saver. So I think this is going to be a really good thing going forward as far as reducing labor to capture uh, quantify body condition measurements. Very good. And, and it was already a very easy tool to use and, um, Looking forward to see to see the changes there. Um, very nice. I, I was actually just thinking that another, I guess, co- common mistakes on the caliper mark. Uh, one would be the sometimes people pressing it uh, when they are measuring it, uh, putting too much weight on that uh, instead of just yeah. leaving it uh, on top of the female. Yeah, and to address that, we've made the tips wider so it doesn't go into the female as far. Mm-hmm. And also just using this extension, you can just set it on her and you don't have to worry about pressing it into her. So I think I think the changes we've made are, are going to be very positive going forward. Very good. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by servitude and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operation. It is time to our famous three. All right, so now the three questions we ask every guest every episode. Uh, Mark, what's your favorite swine-related book? 
Yeah, I've been I've been trying to do some re- research on these Marcio these <laughs> questions, but but I'm just gonna have to tell it to you straight. All right. <laughs> so I, I would say the 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 swine nutrition guide mm-hmm. is a pretty good tool for a for a geneticist such as myself. Mm-hmm. Very good. But basically, uh, I mean, my time is spent trying to to keep up with the the scientific research. Right. Very nice. And uh, any other resource or book unrelated to to pigs that that you like? Oh, yeah. When I was a, a youngster in elementary school, I read a lot of books one year, and I unfortunately I haven't read a whole lot of books since. So it's <laughs> it's really just been a matter of keeping up with the the scientific literature, which I do enjoy, and. I'm impressed with people that have read a lot of different books <laughs> uh, yeah. unrelated to swine. Yeah. I just wish I had better time management to do that myself. Yeah, so. I mean, there's plenty there in the literature. And uh, and sometimes I joke with some friends. I don't know how can how uh, they can keep up with the poultry and pigs sometimes. You know, there's just yeah. a lot of things in pigs a lot. Very good. And in your opinion, Mark, what separates successful swine professionals from those that are not? That's a that's a good question. And I mean, we could probably go through and, and list about five or ten things. Uh, I see perseverance is a pretty big one. I know I had opportunity to uh, interact with some of the individuals that have already talked on this program, and I learned a lot in a short amount of time from some of them, such as like Steve Pullman and Wayne Cast. Le- learned an awful lot from those two in a short amount of time. And uh, a common thing I see in very successful people is they they just have a great level of perseverance, mm-hmm. and they're a little bit of workaholics. <laughs> Hopefully, they're balancing it some with <laughs> with life too, but but uh, just an awful lot of perseverance. Very interesting. Yeah. The- the whole um, work-life balance—it—it's uh, uh, different for for everyone, right? Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, I think we got to the end here, Mark. Um, appreciate your time. Um, you know, I'm very, I'm very uh, fan of the caliper, and I think it's very, um, very good way. Um, of managing the body condition because sometimes you know we have. Uh, consultants going through the farm and different production managers and then you have the manager of the farm everyone has uh, has their own opinion about um, body condition so uh, I think it's great work I wanted to congratulate you for that thank you I appreciate that hey guys and girls I cannot believe it we crossed 9,000 plays in our podcast so thank you so much for being part of our community as well as thanks for all the great guests that we have had. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I do. To be part of our email list and get some exclusive materials, go to our website, www.swineit.com, that's swineit.com, and subscribe to our email list. Also, we love feedback. So if you use the Apple Podcasts app, please leave us a review. It is much appreciated. We'll talk soon.